Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, listeners. Before we get to what is going to be an absolutely massive show today, ton of detail on all four of these game ones. I want to make a major announcement, and that is that Danny and I are going to be taking Dunked On ad-free, subscription-supported as of September 8th. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it here because I've got a whole long blog post on what you get and why we're doing this. And there's also actually about 10 minutes of me fully explaining what this is going to be and what led us to this decision that'll be in a separate episode. But I'll give you the details here. Dunktown is still going to be public and ad-supported one day a week. But if you sign up for the membership, you get the other four days and that additional day all ad-free. And we're also creating something called Total Access with this product, which is we're going to refer to as Dunked On Prime. That's going to include our salary cap projections that me and Danny use. New format there, so you can click through it. Daily dunks is what we call it. Links to the best and most important basketball journalism from around the league to keep you updated. And we're also going to have exclusive mailbag pods. In fact, if you sign up, one of them is waiting for you right now. Written Q&As. We're even going to try a monthly video happy hour. And of course, all of your favorite pods throughout the season that you know and love. We usually average almost 220 episodes per year. And then we're also offering a really cool bundle with The Athletic as well. What's more, since we're trying to get this off the ground, we're not actually going subscription until September 8th for all of the pods, but we're offering a pre-sale right now which is 40% off what the monthly price is going to be. And you get grandfathered in at that price for as long as you want it. You can renew every year at that price, which we're never going to offer again once it actually launches on September 8th because we really want to reward the people who are helping us get this uh, off the ground. And we're also offering an incredible bundle deal with The Athletic. So go to the link in the show notes. You can learn more about it. Really encourage you to check it out. Please listen to my full thoughts uh, on this. We really put a ton of time into this, a ton of thought into this and why we're doing this. And we really appreciate your listenership. And now let's get to today's pod. Oh man, Danny, can you handle at least six more days of this? Four games a a day. I can handle it. I was sitting around my house waiting for basketball to come back uh, for four months. So uh, I, I am ready. I got the tea. I got my six hours of sleep last night. I am fired up. This has been awesome so far. Well, yes, it it helps that we've had a lot of interesting games so far. And so that gives us fodder. I mean, yesterday we talked for a half an hour on game one of Nuggets Jazz. And I don't think we'll have necessarily have that long on it. But today we had, I thought, four games that were all that all had something worth discussing. And also, unfortunately, in the Gordon Hayward respect, we have some news to get to as well. But let's start with Portland beating the Lakers 100 to 93. And there are like there are kind of a couple of big picture 
ways you could think about this. One of them is like the Lakers needed to ramp up really quickly, and especially offensively, I don't think they did in this one. Um, but something I thought was a, kind of an interesting place to start was that you and I had done a fair amount of like watching Portland and talking about Portland because they were in this battle with Memphis. And one of the storylines, especially in the playing game, was Hassan Whiteside and the like. The bigs, other than I mean, Nurk was great. Neat, like just having trouble and it seems like they're a lot more at home in this series than they were in the in the kind of the games leading into this well particularly if the lakers can't open up the paint right five of 32 three-point shooting 16 percent. i think they had a five out of 37 game in the seeding games jared dubin tweeted that they're basically getting the same quality of shots that they always were they had converted those at a worse percentage from three than expected per second spectrum but now they are just way way below that in the bubble they also couldn't hit a free throw in this game and they put up 91.5 offensive rating 93 points in this game it was the first time for anthony slater since january that a blazers appointment failed to crack 100 and the lakers missed it by seven and yeah it's when you can't hit a shot when you're playing with two bigs a lot of the time though they tried to close smaller late then yeah you can get white side on the floor you can get five block shots you can get nurkic uh, out there you can play them even both together if you want to you can get away with some wenyan gabriel around the basket he actually was good enough in this one he had five fouls in 16 minutes but he was plus 12 he wasn't that bad at least he kept the the ship afloat when he was out there he started guarded anthony davis and so yeah i mean that's just what it comes down to number one i mean the lakers got other problems too we'll talk about all those but uh, the ball's just got to go in the basket from three and they have guys who are pretty good three-point shooters in their career and i mean their starters green is two for eight caldwell pope is 0 for 5 0 for 9 overall lebron and ad combined one for 10 it's just I mean, it's going to change a little bit here, but they just are not going to be able to score in the half court, even with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, if they don't start hitting some shots. Here's one way of putting this. Seven different Lakers attempted at least one three-pointer in this game. Only one of them shot better than 25% from three. And that is Markeith Morris, who took one. Everybody else yeah. everybody else was worse than that. And a lot of them were were clean looks. You know, like they were Danny Green having the ball open in the corner for a couple of seconds and just missing Yeah, he had shot. some bad misses. Early on. He had some, and and so I, some of that, you know, we we talk about the idea of shot quality being more predictive than shot making, and and yes, it's true that the Lakers don't have the greatest finish you know like play finishers sometimes like lebron sets sets up the pins but somebody else has to knock them down but they'll be better than they were in in this game but i did think that the blazers defense you know kind of tying in with something that we saw against memphis i thought that they did play better overall and then by keeping the lakers down and also the lakers keeping themselves down then even though the blazers partially due to the lakers again and partially due to their own some of their own inefficiencies they had enough offense to, to, to keep it close late and then they were better in the closing kick of the game yeah, that uh, we'll talk about Portland on, on offense in a little bit. I mean, that lineup of Lillard, McCollum, Mello, Trent, and Nurkic is absolutely unguardable so far in the now 10 games that they've played a few other nuggets here from the lakers they started 16 of 31 in the restricted area that obviously was terrible they actually got better towards the end finished uh, they made nine of their last 11 in the restricted area they were one of 13 from floater range they were 0 for 8 from the right corner and lebron james did have a bunch of a of assists i mean but like the only way they were scoring it seemed like was off just some awesome pass from lebron or in transition when they could get out there and in the half court david Locke had this stat in the final 10 and a half minutes 
The Lakers scored on just two of their final 17 possessions in the half court, and one of those two was a LeBron tip-in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's oh, incredible. Overall in the game, the Lakers had a 77 offensive rating in the half court. That is zeroth percentile. Um, the good thing for them was that they did get out a lot in transition, not a surprise with a LeBron, with a LeBron team, but that wasn't, it, it's not enough to survive its zeroth percentile in half court yeah. offense. Well, especially, I mean, you know, the Lakers defense was actually pretty good, Yeah, but when absolutely. you're taking the ball out of the basket against a Portland team a fair amount of the time, you know, it's not a recipe to get a, a lot of transition either. So it's, it's really going to be difficult for them. And this is not an entirely new problem. You know, they, when you throw in the bubble, they were, I think like 21st in the NBA in three point they're not a high volume team I mean, when you consider you know 32 attempts is kind of a round average but when it's considering how much portland is packing the paint and how bad they are you'd think you they could get some more attempts but they all they, part of it is just they don't really have as many guys standing out by the three-point line when they were playing the two bigs and kuzma likes to kind of curl into the lane to get long twos sometimes even run plays for that so they don't really have a, a great you know the lebron plus shooters is a thing of the past with this group even when they had ad at center and in terms of half court offense in the nba this year they're you know 17th 18th they're around that area they're number one by a mile in transition offense but again you know that's a little easier to take away in the playoffs so they got offensive problems some of them are going to get fixed by hitting some more shots but i do think this is going to evolve into a playoff long concern i'm not saying that they can't overcome it to some degree especially since i think their defense is going to be really good but it's hard to see how this team becomes the true offensive juggernaut that you really need to be unless you know if Danny green and kcp start hitting shots all of a sudden then maybe that's uh, that's different but if teams are, are not going to have to guard them, they or if they're just you know kind of average three point shooters, you know Danny Green's not that forty percent guy we've come to know and love. They got problems, and, and also because they just don't have that many other guys that can like credibly handle the ball. I think that there there aren't as many different directions that the Lakers go. LeBron is is an incredible talent. I mean, he had sixteen assists, and he could have had a lot more if his teammates actually made some shots. And Anthony Davis will not play as poorly in most games as he did in this one. For me, of describing his offensive game, the thing that struck me was that Davis was. 2 of 15 on shots outside the restricted area. That is a large volume of shots, and that is an extremely low success rate. He also missed five free throws in this one. And when you think about he had nine shots in the restricted area, but Davis had six offensive rebounds and also was running the four in transition. So you could, he also like didn't get to the basket enough when you think about the opportunities that were provided through that. Though not all of his offensive rebounds were right around the basket, of course. But Davis, like he just looked out of sorts, especially early. There were some times where he ran the floor and like he had that nice block on Lillard and then ran the floor and got a finish. So it's like, oh, that's Anthony Davis. Davis. But those were few and further between than I would have liked. And yes, it's the first game of the playoffs, and they hope this is a long run. And I'm not saying they're in, you know, Anthony Davis is screwed up or anything like that. But they do, you know, they need somebody to step up. And Davis is the most logical piece as the second best player in the league and one of the or second best player on the team and one of the top ten players in the league. Absolutely. And this is a guy who has 13 games of playoff experience, but he's got a 30 PER in the playoffs like he's been awesome in the playoffs uh, offensively over the years and this is probably the worst playoff game he's ever played at eight out of 24 and Locke noted this as well four of his eight field goals are just transition plays yep. and he's certainly deadly as particularly you got to be so aware of him that when he goes out on the perimeter and contests a shot particularly at power forward where he's out on the perimeter more because then he's just going to sprint the floor LeBron's going to find him either post up deep against somebody or he'll just run the floor and LeBron will just touch down it to him. But 
uh and you know i might even say that if ad can test a shot maybe my rule is just big men just don't even go to the offensive glass just run back because like big men are like oh ad is gone now i can go get the rebound particularly if he's playing center and if you don't get the rebound it's going to be a dunk at the other end so you might want to be a little more conservative there but uh that was all all ad had going today it was rough yeah and he was negative 20 uh by the way and particularly without lebron it was a massive struggle for the lakers so bad was their offense that portland even got away with playing hazonia mellow and whiteside all together yeah, and that was that was I mean the flammable defensive lineups for Portland didn't really matter in this one, which is also stunning when you think about you know the the team on the other side of the court. And I mean Caruso, I thought had a, he he had a rough night offensively. I thought defensively he he, he had some moments, but um, Kuzma, you know, like even the guys who you think like okay that that maybe they'll do something didn't really. I, I wonder if they're going to turn to Dion Waiters a little bit more just because at least it's another look. You know, they can go in that direction, particularly in the non-LeBron minutes. I think that they're they're actually like that. That was something that I thought we learned in the seeding games was that waiters could could help out in those minutes. Vogel didn't use him there. And I mean, it, it, it's going to be a challenge, especially because in some ways, because Rondo might be coming back soon, that they might think of him as somebody that could solve it. And I actually think it, the answers are more in-house than already than Rondo, because he he's more of a distributor than a, like a creator at this point. Like, he's not really forcing the other team. He's not creating the churn, let's say. And they need somebody. To yeah, do I don't that. know. I actually think that he could be pretty important to Davis when LeBron is yes, off the that's, floor. Yes, that's a really good point. Uh, particularly against those atrocious portland backup units like that that might be the key and let's remember that ad had that you know the best playoff series of his career against portland with rondo getting in the ball uh, back in 2018 different teams here obviously but that was actually probably a better portland defensive team uh, than this outfit that's true uh do you want to turn to portland's offense no not yet uh because there's one other overarching thing here that we haven't even hit on yet the shooting obviously if they're they shoot five or 32 from three every game like they're not going to win the championship they're not going to reach their expectations uh, there's nothing really that you can do about that uh, if you're the lakers but it's also you got to just hope that that's not an inherent concern that that's something that is just the the vagaries of fate here over these nine games that, that they've played now in orlando it's interesting that they're missing because everyone else has been raving about how good the shooting background is and how how well guys are shooting because you don't have kind of that abyss behind the basket that you do in a normal arena. LeBron James, to me, has not looked good enough to get them to where they need to be. At some point, he's going to need to be scoring 30 a night. He's got to be the best player in a series against the Clippers. He's got to be the best player in a series against the Rockets, frankly, if they hope to win and yes he had the 15 assists he's an awesome awesome passer he's this is maybe the best passing season of his career considering in particular the tight windows that he's had to work it with and and the lack of of anyone else to to handle the ball he's not been the guy that he needs to be as a scorer yet and you know he averaged 25 26 points game this year he hasn't reached that once yet in the bubble and He's 9-21. He got going to the rim early, but then Hassan Whiteside actually stopped him at the rim no less than five times, either with blocks or forced misses. He's missed some bunnies that you don't normally see from him. I don't know if it's the groin. It could be the fact that he's 35 years old. It could be that he's still trying to ease into things. We saw him very little in the post. A couple times he did that. It looked pretty good, but he's still not a ton there. He's pretty reliant on transition. You know, he's not really able to like actually fake guys out in the half court anymore off the dribble. The jumper is kind of here or there. And 
I'm not here to tell you that he can't get better, but he has to get better is the message that I would have. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we'll have particularly to... down the end too. Well, I mean, and, like... and also remember yeah. that yes, they have interior defenders, but man to man, you know, like kind of the start of the attack, Portland doesn't really have guys for him. You know, this is they had Carmelo on him at some point. Like Portland without Trevor Reza, they don't have the personnel. It's part of the reason yeah. you and I aggressively, you know, I like, thought the Lakers were gonna do really well in the series. I, is that... I mean he's he's got a four inch height advantage and about a 50-pound weight advantage on Gary Trent, the guy who's guarding him a lot. And Carmelo Anthony, um, his attempt to get through an Alex Caruso screen just made me like bust up laughing in the fourth quarter. And then he ran into Dwight Howard the next time he get hard to get through a screen. So uh, that, that was on the play where LeBron came off a screen and hit a three. Is one of the one of the few threes that, that anybody hit. But uh, yeah, this is not an ideal group to guard him. And the Clippers do have those kind of players. And the Rockets kind of have those sort of players, certainly much more than the Blazers do. Let's talk about this Portland offense, though, now here after we take a quick break. All right, we got to talk about Damian Lillard, but a reminder, talked about it in the open, going to talk about it a lot more at the end of this, why we're doing this. But starting September 8th, you will be able to get dunked on completely ad-free five days a week. We will still have one public episode, but we are going largely subscription four of the five days per week. I I talked more about why it is that we're doing that. But if you go to dunkedon.supportingcast.fm, that's where you can sign up for it and take advantage of our special rate for what we're calling Dunked On Prime Total Access. We're offering that as a founding membership before we actually go live on September 8th, a limited number of those. So I encourage you to check that out and allow us to give you even more and even better content than we have been. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm to join us. And as a founding member, you're going to get that special price that we'll never again offer once we get started and you're grandfathered in at that price as long as you want to be. What's more, we're also offering a really cool bundle deal with The Athletic as well. So dunkedon.supportingcast.fm and you won't have to hear another ad on Dunkedon ever again once you sign up for that and September 8th rolls around. So Damian Lillard, yes, it took him until 7 minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth to score his first point in the second half, but he completely set the tone in a ridiculous first quarter and then the last 7.30 was just an absolute tour de force of the type of mind-bending, defense-bending performance that we've really only seen from Steph Curry. And I think Lillard is even with some of these shots, not his overall impact, I'm not saying he's better than Steph, but with some of these shots, he's even taking it a level beyond what we've seen from Steph. Yeah, I mean, the the logo is in a different place in Orlando, but he he had, had a couple of just completely ridiculous pull-ups. And while Lillard, you know, like, look at the like the, the fourth quarter stats, let's say. like He only had nine points, three of five from three, and missed two twos. But you saw how it opened everything up for the defense. And also, those three makes were all completely ridiculous. And it creates... Basically, you have to treat those situations completely differently. The rules are not the same for Damian Lillard as they are for every other player in the bubble. And that is huge for Lillard. That's huge for the Blazers offense and that he has the confidence to take a pull-up shot from like, I don't know, 30 feet away in a tie game midway midway through or later than that midway through the fourth quarter. And then I think that's a big part of you can look at some of their supporting players are better shooters than some of the Lakers supporting players, some of them, but also, you know, getting things around the basket, getting, getting, creating all of these other advantages that makes that gives their offense more vitality yeah absolutely and you know he got double teamed on those last two three-pointers by Trent and Carmelo and those guys have been money spot-up shooters particularly at the end of the game I mean what a revelation 
Gary Trent has been for this group. He started playing a little bit before the shutdown, but he has just been a money three-point shooter, and he did, did as good at work as you can against LeBron. But, you know, a, a lot of people would chafe at my comparison of Lillard to Steph. And yes, he is not the same overall player. Steph Curry has been playing at this level since 2015. He did miss this year. We have not forgotten about Stephen Curry. I do not make that comparison lightly, but particularly that one crazy one that he hit, that's like hopping into a pull-up, stopping your momentum off a screen, literally from that skinny NBA logo. That's what, particularly at just a normal time in the game, early in the clock, Steph is a, a couple of feet in. Steph can still maybe get that shot a little bit more. Certainly, he's got the off-ball game more than Lillard does. And But Lillard is a better and quicker driver than Stephen Curry. Curry is the better in-between game, probably. But Lillard also gets to the foul line a lot on his drives. He was a further 10 out of 10 tonight and 34 points. 9 of 21 from the field, 6 of 13 from 3, 5 assists, although he had just a ton of those hockey assists, and only 3 turnovers as well, plus 19. And he's also playing more minutes than Steph Curry plays. He just sat for a minute and a half in the second well, half. And, and you know why? Because they got absolutely shellacked in the minutes he didn't play, especially in, I believe that was the first half. Yeah, they, they got embeated in the minutes that he was out, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, And and we also, like, I think another interesting part of, of this game was the, the narrowness of the rotations, even for... Terry Stotts, who they just went through, you know, the 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 eight big games and then the ninth with his playing game, only eight players, but also Gabriel started and played 16 minutes. Hazoni only played 12. So really it was, I, I mean, there were six guys that played over 25 minutes, but Lillard and McCollum played 42 and 43 respectively. And that's a lot. But also, I mean, Portland's fighting for their lives here and they're, they're you know, they don't know how long this run is going to last. And so you, uh, hopefully you don't get any, you know, uh, the travel helps with that and everything else. But I mean, they're pushing their guys hard and they need to because that's the only way they can win. Any other notes you have? I have a couple of smaller ones, but um, I, you, you brought up Wendy and Gabriel before. I, I, I did like the energy that he played with. I wonder, you know, I don't think he'll do as good of a job, you know, like kind of capably, you know, being on Davis for some of the time he was. I don't think that's necessarily going to continue, but good to steal some. I mean, that's absolutely something you can do. And I think that the Lakers aggressiveness playing two bigs, partially because they just don't have enough wings. Like, I think that's an underappreciated part of this. For like, yeah, they can try Markeith and Kuzma and some of the other stuff, but that gives Terry Stotts the ability to play Whitehead more. And White Whitehead was better in this game than he was in the last couple. And that's good because Portland doesn't have enough perimeter players either. Like, basically, it kind of plays into Portland's hands, but it's, I don't think the Lakers can force the issue. Yeah, we talked about that in the preview, and that certainly has come home to roost. And in terms of adjustments, yes, I'm aware that Green has sucked. I'm aware that Caldwell Pope has sucked. You got to win a championship, and you got to do it with those guys. You, they got to hit shots. They got to play better. You have to just continue to trust them because you don't have other options, really. And I think my closing group, I would go with LeBron Green, Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, who I thought still did a pretty solid job defensively, although his shot cooled off. And then, of course, Davis at center and really just get LeBron post-ups, AD against the switch, AD LeBron pick and roll, and just spread that floor, get everyone out of the way. None of these running plays for Kuzma for a long two and just get these dudes wide open threes and just force the Blazers to get out of the paint so, so you can really start dominating in there. That's what it's got to be. I mean, it's uh, the... That, to me, is their the best possible offensive lineup that they can have out there. Caruso, I think they feel like they need him uh, against Damon. And he's, 
he did a good job of executing the system he gets around screens he forced Lillard at least to his right I think if they do have Caruso Lillard should try and ISO on him a little bit more teams never want to ISO their point guard for whatever reason but you know Caruso can't stay in front of Dame if they're actually some space there There there's one play where he tried to pick him up deep and Dame just blew by him set up white side for a dunk but that was really the only time that Lillard just tried him in space without the screen coming and you know we saw that possession at the end where lebron kicks it out to caruso caruso like fumbles it has to dribble around there's still six on the shot clock he takes like a fade away three that was an absolutely dead critical possession down five with like just more than a minute left that they just punted yeah on that play and like caruso's just not gonna get guarded they just got to get guys out there who at least are going to pretend to get respect i also think that they should start dwight howard if they're gonna go big i thought that they now howard did have five fouls i don't know how long he can stay out there he's been a foul machine but defensively his mobility is so much better i think that when he's out there i would consider really trapping lillard lillard can still especially if you trap him far enough away from the basket uh so where he's not like so engaged that he's gonna split it and you know take two dribbles and get to the hoop which is something he's worked on a lot he can get a little bit casual with those plays particularly when he's tired there was one play where I, I think it was Dwight who got a hand in his pocket pass and stole it that led to a fast break um so I'd like to see that you know I, I still just don't really see what JaVale brings other than some offensive rebounds but it's just hard for me to see how JaVale McGee could be on the floor when Yusuf Nurkic is setting screens for Lillard and McCollum I think that's uh, that's gonna be pretty ugly um I mean Portland I don't think they their personnel wise they're very limited in terms of their adjustments they just don't have a lot I think if you do have you know some of these times like CJ is being guarded by a bigger player I might try to bring him off some more screens get into some of that flare screen action that Terry Stotts really likes uh, that wheel action um, that could get CJ going a, a little bit well, he yeah, did for, just enough force in them this game. to be attentive I think that's that's something yeah. that Stotts usually does such a good job of that the Lakers and I think that that did that was a contributing factor in the Lakers in the Blazers offense stagnating a few different times it's just doing a little bit yeah. more to keep those guys to create mistakes it's not as it's not the same type of thing as going after a switching system but i think it's using the advantages you have and being a little bit more active with it yeah and you know the lakers offense was not good here the theory was not good and yeah it looks a lot better when you hit some shots obviously but it really you know when you consider that lebron and ad took 10 of their 32 three-pointers 22 three-pointers from the guys not named lebron and ad are not enough and there's just too many guys standing around in the middle playing into portland strengths this you know letting them get away with playing Whiteside and nurkic together like yeah okay you can do that against some like you know memphis or something but like this is like a real playoff team with anthony davis and lebron james like you shouldn't be able to get away with playing Nurkic and Whiteside together and being that slow defensively you just you just gotta come up with some more ways to spread the floor and I mean Kyle Anderson yeah. cooked us on Whiteside three nights ago <laughs> yeah now that they, they had I mean hilariously Memphis probably had more spacing yep, at that point than, than the Lakers but yeah I really am just a, not a fan of the way that the Lakers attacked offensively now let's move to a game we did not think we'd be discussing. I said Bucks in three in my pick. I think most people saw it that way, particularly when Aaron Gordon could not play with that left hamstring injury. Oh, Contrer, Orlando came out and they cooked these guys 122 to 110. So let's start here as you often like to. I mean, I, I assume you're not going to pick the Bucks in this series, but... You mean the Magic. It, 
well after yeah. a loss like this no yes i do mean the magic um but what is your concern level for the bucks after this loss like a two it, it's it i mean i full credit to orlando i thought they well, well know, in this series or overall in this series i guess i would say overall it's you know it, it's probably still yeah. in the in the lower now, range now three and six in the bubble that's true and i mean the lakers similarly they they start they they hadn't looked great but i i want to give it's hard for me to kind of do two things at once here but i want to try I want to give full credit to both Steve Clifford and the Magic for doing, for like trying different things that worked really well, but also saying that a portion of it was things going way better than we would expect if you rolled the dice, you know, 10 times, you know, like they're, the Magic hit a ton of jump shots in this game. They were 9 of 19 in mid-rangers. They were 16 of 41 from 3, despite Fournier missing a ton of shots early. He ended up being a little bit better. And some of those were shots that were conceded within the Bucks offense, we, Bucks defense. We talk about this all the time. But, you know, a little bit one way, a little bit the other way, especially with Milwaukee's offensive struggles. So it's like, yeah, Orlando deserves a ton of credit for what they did well and executing on it. But I don't think that, like, fundamentally changes this year. It, it, it makes them, like, a favorite the series or anything silly like that no i, I mean i agree the bucks are still going to win this series I, I feel pretty darn confident in that but you know some might point to last year where orlando won game one against toronto tj augustin hit that shot at the end really good three-point shooting this was not like crazy outlier three-point shooting by orlando in the end some of it were just misses late when it was already out of reach but here's your problem the magic shot 58 percent from two yeah and i mean you know nine of 19 i mean that's not some batshit insane shooting from mid-range like that's a normal number of attempts to take six out of ten from floater range i mean you know they kind of hit one or two more shots than expected from every area but they shot 68% at the rim. They didn't take many at the rim, obviously, because it's the Bucks. But this was 63% true shooting for the Magic. They did also shoot it very well from the line, 18 and 19. So, you know, it, it kind of adds up. I get it that they shot, you know, a couple of percentage points better than expected from every area. And, you know, those you get a bucket or two more than you expect from every area. And that adds up to, you know, an extra 10, 15 points in the game. I understand that. However, compare this to their game against toronto in game one where they shot over 40 percent from three in that game last year but they were like you know 38 percent on two and vucevic did absolutely nothing when he's guarded by marcus ol instead in this game nikola vucevic had the the game of his life completely different and we talked about this in the little bit admittedly that we discussed this series that if vucevic could get going he is someone who causes problems for the way the bucks want to defend that above the break three shooting big man and then the handoff stuff that he likes to run and we we saw it right at the beginning the first play of the game eric bledsoe or was in like the first couple of possessions gives up a blow by to markel fultz he forces a baseline and fultz goes right in for a layup and i'm like well that's weird you don't usually see that against the bucks and oh brooke lopez is 20 feet from the basket 15 feet from the basket guarding nikola vucevic and he never gets there and then that was only compounded when vucevic started off on fire they're up 17 to 10 and Vucevic finished it with 35 points five of eight from three 15 to 24 from the field overall he hit well, a number of long twos and, as well. and he specifically was a big that first quarter where he dropped yeah. 12 I mean and, yeah. and it looked and it looked really good for him and so you, yeah I mean kind of st when you started watching it you're like well the the Bucks have this very specific approach and it doesn't it doesn't work as well and I, I mean it, it, it there was it had run through my mind you know like we talked about it a little bit on the pod it's like that the magic had some of these wrinkles that could be a challenge for the Bucks. I just didn't think they had enough overall game to make it matter. You know, like that they could make individual games more interesting. But Vooch was absolutely fabulous. And I agree with you that that really opened up a lot of the rest of the attack. And yeah, it's true. The Bucks 
I mean, sorry, the Magic only took 19 shots in the restricted area. But remember, the Bucks, what makes them special is it's not only that they give up very few shots in the restricted area, it's that they also held opponents to the lowest percentage in the restricted area, and they don't foul that much. And in this one, the the free throw made margin was actually zero, but that's partially because the Magic only missed one and the Bucks missed 10. And also, like, I mean, they, you know, they were very efficient when they got there. And a lot of that was because the normal help, whether that's Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, or some combination of those, just weren't there in the way that they normally are. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also interesting. It seemed like when Vooch was out of the game, that was when oftentimes the Bucks would go with Giannis and Marvin Williams together, or even Giannis by himself at center. And then they would go back to their centers when Vooch is back in. I think you maybe go with the more mobile mo- unit, try to match that up with, with Vooch a little bit. Um, I, I got a few more thoughts well, uh, on the Bucks defense. Yeah, go ahead. Something I want to say about that is Vooch, he's not as extreme he, as Porzingis. I, I think that he does attack size mismatches more. But I think Budenholzer, and again, I've, I've criticized him before as like the tactics versus strategy thing with him. I think you can get more away with playing smaller guys on Vooch and trying to maintain some system continuity, especially when it's not, even with Isaac and Aaron Gordon unavailable, like I would argue that the magic forwards that started are better shooters conceptually than those guys. Not that Gary Clark was a house of fire from yeah. three. He, he was four. I mean, at least he was shooting them. Though, he was, right? he was four 12. He hit a but, few early. I, I mean, that's the thing, like hitting him early. We saw that with the nuggets yesterday. Like you would much rather hit a ton of threes early and then miss late, but it's still in their head that you're hitting them right. as opposed to vice versa. Exactly. But what, I, what I'm getting at is the idea that it, it doesn't need to be a point of absolute panic to put somebody smaller on Vooch. And so, yeah switching those lines like he's not he might bully you for individual possessions but it it gets back to that idea we've talked about he's not gonna he's not gonna get fouled which is what really kills you on those plays and you know you can always double team every once in a while too you know they don't have the greatest shooters especially like their starting lineup Fultz James Ennis and Jerry Gary Clark all in the starting lineup you're telling me you can't double team with that I mean I know they hit a few shots early but like come on man yeah exactly and so I I think going kind of leaning in a different direction can be can be really advantageous to the Bucks. That's not often something that they do, but it is it is worth considering. The other thing they might do also to stay in their base defense more is you could still you know, on any kind of like a pick and pop or something have you know you got to get Lopez out there a little bit to start on those handoffs and stuff. But then if Lopez has to help on the drive, he because you can see it. Like if you watch him all the time in his head, it's like, okay, is it is it safe? Is it safe? Can I get back to, to Vucevic now? Like I can't leave him. You know, and he just is not waiting there at the rim the way he normally would be. I mean, it's still worth noting that they held him to 19 shots at the rim, which is a low number, but it still wasn't quite as Bucks-like as you expect. And what I would try and do when you can, it's hard to do it when they do the pin down in the corner because then Vuce will fade into the corner sometimes and that you really can't bring help there but i would start just bringing a third man over on some of those plays he could have that guy take vucevic at the top on the pop and have lopez continue to protect the rim when he's in the game and then just make the magic scramble around and you know they're always going to have at least a couple of relative non-shooters on the floor run them off the line force them to make some decisions hopefully and i think that's a, a really good way to approach things um uh, but I, as much as we talked so much about the bucks defense and the orlando offense and, and vucevic was great obviously i actually consider this an offensive loss for the bucks that's totally fair considering they put up about a 103 offensive rating in this game 16 turnovers though only six of those were live ball 10 missed free throws like and, and and also just like a lot a lot of i mean i thought middleton was the most disappointing of all of their performances but there were other contenders too 
Can, can I give you a batshit insane stat from this game? Sure. The Milwaukee Bucks, one of the highest paced teams and the best transition teams. You got Giannis, maybe the best grab and go guy ever. The Bucks ran overall on 19% of their possessions. They ran on 44% of magic rebounds. I don't recall ever seeing transition numbers this bad. They had a 47 offensive rating in transition. And off of steals, they had a 200 offensive rating, but they didn't get very many of those. That meant that on live rebounds, pushing the ball, they ran it a ton. They ran 44% of the time, and they had a 29 offensive rating. That's impossible. On those plays. How is that remotely possible? I mean, I think they must have just missed all the threes on that. Giannis got like a couple of turnovers. I thought, I mean, he's got to play better. He did not have a, a good game at all offensively and probably defensively actually as well. Magic hit some tough shots right in his face too. So that's, you know, those aren't always going to go down. The Magic shot making was good. But I mean, that that's completely insane. I don't expect that to continue necessarily. Although, you know, it is worth noting, Steve Clifford, what we always say about him is his teams get back and maybe the Bucks were just too aggressive aggressive pushing the ball didn't take a great shots i don't have the breakdown of like precisely how many threes versus twos or turnovers they had in transition but just having watched the game a, a lot of real issues they took some pretty sorry quick shots including one by eric bledsoe when oh my god they're down six with you know i think they're right about it was like 99 93 they come down brooke lopez is just starting to get hot Giannis is out of the game and eric bledsoe just jacks a terrible three off the dribble without even trying to attack the magic and then they then they gave up a bunch to terrence ross that stretch when Giannis was out of the game start of the fourth quarter mid fourth quarter uh terrence ross absolutely left barbecue marks on Pat Connaughton, like both sides, it was like that grilling video where it's like they have the grill marks and then you turn the steak over. So you have like the hatch marks. That's what Pat Connaughton looked like after Terrence Ross was done with him in this game, uh, going back door, getting open off of screens. Like it was, uh, that was atrocious. And it, so a, a lot of bucks played very poorly. You mentioned Middleton as well. Middleton um, but, was yeah. one of my one of my stats from this game. Middleton only took two shots in the, in the paint in the game, and both of them were were from floater range. He didn't take anything around the basket, and I think so. He took six free throws. I believe at least two of those fouls, like the fouls, weren't on weren't like around the basket, like they, from what I re, from what I remember. So yeah, I was disappointed in Middleton, and it's not like this iteration of the Magic has great personnel. I mean, you know, they and this is okay, but it's not like they're you know forces to be reckoned with there, like some of the other iterations. Magic Bledsoe had some, you know had some terrible shot decisions, and with yeah, I'm glad you brought up Connaughton, and he got absolutely roasted by Terrence Ross, and I wondered why he was in the game so much when you consider yeah. just some of the other options that they have, and like Con- well, like Divincenzo is perfect for that role. Maybe Bud got mad at him or something, or he just wants to play anyone, or you know Wesley Matthews could play some more minutes as well. He only played 26 minutes. Yeah, and like Connaughton, sometimes you go to small guys over big guys because they're you know you, the the whole idea i think of like jim barnett's brought this up of like you know like the small guys often beating the big guys when you do that split in practice pat Connaughton is not a better basketball player than like some of the bigger guys that they have i agree with that we also talked about this though that what is the magic's defense right it's pick and roll going at nikola vucevic right the very first game that we did for nba league pass the first quarter of that the nets put up a 40 spot on him with karis lavert just killing vucevic and getting it to jared allen for dunks the bucks run less pick and roll than anybody and that's partly because they don't have great pick and roll ball handlers i, I do think that just 
completely allowing that part of Eric Bledsoe's game to atrophy is something that they regret. You know, he used to be a pretty decent pick and roll player in Phoenix. He would kind of feel some contact, draw some BS fouls. And, you know, that's also just a way to like call some plays for him, get his confidence going. He doesn't really have anything to do other than transition unless he's handling the ball and pick and roll. George Hill was good. He tried to attack a little bit and he, he had 16 points, was very efficient as he always seems to be this year. But he's not going to just like put a ton of pressure on you on your pick and roll defense necessarily. That's not what he is at this point in his career. So you know there are maybe some matchup advantages for the Magic. I didn't see it when the Bucks were just housing them uh, seemingly every time they've played over the last couple of years. At least by memory, I don't remember last year, but this year they certainly did. I think they won by an average of seventeen a game this year before tonight. So this is going to change. The Bucks will come out uh, again and be a lot better in the next game. Um, you know, Giannis five turnovers. That's not that good. Four Six, of nine 16 from the line. Is a, 16 as a team. Yeah, especially especially against this team, yep. right? Like, and, and, you know, a lot of that, again, was the transition issues. But this is a team that has those, again, that Clifford conservatism. They don't force turnovers necessarily. And also worth noting as well, only six steals for the Magic. So the most of those turnovers, usually when they aren't steals, they're a lot less forced turnovers. It's just, you know, dumb travels and stuff like that. Illegal screens. Offensive fouls, moving screens. So they're going to play better. They will. But I mean, when you look at their three-point shooting, wasn't quite enough to open up the lane. 33%. That's kind of what these guys are. 33% three-point shooting team a lot of times. Giannis, under 50% from the field. And that's even though he shot three out of seven from three. He missed a lot of bunnies that he could have made too. And then there's foul shooting, four or nine. That's not good enough. They were 64% from the line. So a lot of things went wrong, uh, including that their half-court offense rating was fine. You know, 104, 105, that's totally good for a half-court offensive rating, but to be so bad in transition. So there are a lot of indicators that are going to flip around. The Magic shooting, the Bucks transition, Giannis would be better, et cetera, et cetera. Some of, their, but, some of their good players can play more minutes. So what I'll say, the thing that is concerning to me of about this from the Bucks' perspective is that, and this is, again, not the first time we've seen this with the Budenholzer team, a portion of the playoffs is leaning into your strengths and knowing that what you like especially with a great team like the bucks knowing that you can do what you're going to do but another easy way to gain an advantage especially on a clearly inferior opponent is to embrace what the other team does poorly and attack that aggressively and like i mean going back to you brought up that that nets game that we did for the live cast it's like i think that Jacques vaughn did a really nice job of going after that and the bucks it's it's like boonholzer has so much confidence in what they do that they're like oh we're kind of like we're too good for that and that might be true in the aggregate over a series but it's i think it's a really dangerous approach and whether you compare that to like the way nick nurse handles defense which is basically a lot of it is about what what we can do everything so what can't the other side do and i think it's just a healthy approach to have yeah you definitely like to see this magic team trying to actually beat the bucks one-on-one you know they did not force nearly uh, enough of that the magic had 29 assists that's a lot of assists well and and you Uh, also compare it to clifford clifford i think there were modifications from what the magic normally do and a lot of those were understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the buck system and knowing what like trying to take them out of what they do whereas milwaukee didn't do that at all yeah, I mean, for example, you know, Terrence Ross, the, their whole system is we're going to like really lock and drill you. 
Terrence Ross, plus 19, he had 18 points. He didn't make a three-pointer in this game. When's the last time Terrence Ross had 18 points without hitting a three and only took three of them? Like, he was getting guys back door all the time. Like, that was definitely a, a wrinkle that I would imagine was coaching-related. That you don't, That's, to my recollection, has not been a huge part of Terrence Ross's game for a while. Um, another thing I can point to, it too, and I, I was critical of this with the Bucs. Again, it's coming back to medium where last year against Toronto, the, the Raptors really packed the paint against Giannis. And they just... and. This is ironic because you know there's that story when bud took over like okay they have these places where like you have to stand to create the spacing you know they tape boxes on the the practice floor etc there's always like some guard like divincenzo or george hill just like hanging out under the rim for some reason in their offense or Connaughton loves to do that too like like get out of there man you got the the best dunker in the league just space out you guys are good three-point shooters hit a three like you, you don't I mean, I know like George Hill and Devin Jennings like to offensive rebound every once in a while, but like, just get out of there, man. You can crash for the glass from outside if you want to. All right, another quick break here, and then we will get to the next game, OKC and Houston. All right, so we are back again. A reminder that soon, as of September 8th, you will not have to listen to any more ads. Go to dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. To find out more, link to that, of course, is in the show notes. More information on how that's going to work, why we're doing it as well. I'm going to post a separate pod on that. I also uh, wrote a long blog post about it as well. Pretty similar content to what the pod is. But please listen to one of the two of those if you're a longtime listener, because I I would like to really explain why we're doing this and also how it's going to work. The economics of why we felt like we needed to move in, in that direction. So let's talk OKC and Houston now, Danny. And this one was, you know, a few of these series have not gone according to plan so far. I thought Boston Philly kind of did. This one to me looked exactly just about how I thought it was going to look overall. There's some differences, obviously, but this is everything that I feared for OKC in this first game. Right. And I I thought that other than a few moments like Gallo, Gallo got to his spots a couple times and got to the line nine times overall. The concerns that I had about OKC's half court offense in particular, I thought that those all came home to roost, partially because they have all these limited players. And it was like, can, you know, will the Terrence Ferguson's of the world beat the Thunder or beat the Rockets, the best team, kind of the best team at threat assessment in the entire league. But also I thought the Rockets were just excellent. I thought this was one of the best games I've seen them play all year. I thought Eric Gordon looked great. I thought that they got important contributions from Jeff Green and Ben McElmore off the bench. And despite, you know, PJ Tucker having some foul trouble at one point, Covington got, got his five. I thought that, I thought the Rockets looked, they looked every bit the, maybe not a top tier Kyle contender, but they looked every bit the team that we were excited about when they acquired Covington. Yeah, I mean, 18 minutes in the game, basically, this is a 20-point game, and the first 18 minutes was atrocious for OKC, and it, this felt, in a lot of ways, almost like the Utah Jazz going against this Rockets team early in the series, when it's just looked so bad for them, and you get this feeling of, like, how the heck are these guys ever going to score, and then, you know, they'll come back a little bit in the second half and make it like mildly respectable you know they outscored them by six in the in the fourth quarter but this is basically a 20 point game they got within 12 at one point in the third and then Harden hit a step back to restore order he he was awesome and I I think the number one thing obviously was OKC's offense we said that we didn't think that they're going to be able to stop Houston that well I don't think Houston could play this well offensively every game their ball movement was awesome Eric Gordon finished 7 to 17 but he looked really good getting to the basket which to me was the most important thing giving them some juice as a second playmaker he set guys up pretty well too got the churn going when Harden was out of the game but 
we thought this series would be decided on the OKC offensive end of the floor, and the early returns there are just not good at all. No, and I mean, for it was something for me. I thought it was even more pronounced in the non-Chris Paul minutes that they just they, they just couldn't really get anything going. And it's not like CP was amazing. It's just that that fundamentally worked better. Now, Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder returned in this one and didn't look quite himself, but also like I mean. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. We wondered wh- whether he was going to step up. I mean, I mean, was he even... I-, I was wondering if he was even on the team in the first 18 minutes of the game. Right. And I mean, wasn't really doing a lot with the ball in his hands as a scorer, as a creator. And I mean, you look at the overall shot chart for him, two of eight from the field, one of three in the restricted area, missed two floaters, and then took three, uh, three above the break threes and only yeah. made one of them. He's their best isolation player. Tell yeah. How on earth... Does he have eight shots in 35 minutes? Eight shots, one assist, and one turnover. So it's not even like it wasn't, and it wasn't like he was create like a bunch of hockey assists or anything like that either. They were they were going in other directions, and yeah, I agree with you. I think he's their best isolationist, and Donovan didn't turn to that, and that was something that was really frustrating to me about this series. And I think that it has been true for me. There, there, Donovan has gotten a lot of credit in for various things. One of them this year, I think, was people thinking this Thunder roster was was way less talented. Than it actually was. But the Rockets are the most call a spade a spade team in the NBA today. Maybe I would say even more so than the Bucks. You know exactly what they're going to do. You know what they're going to turn your defense into. You know what they're going to turn your offense into. And it didn't seem like Billy Donovan went, okay, that's what this is going to be. So here's how we're going to do it. Other than some Gallo stuff, like especially with Shea. And that was really frustrating to me because you, you know all that. It's Houston. That's the benefit you get I, of playing them. I, can I push back on that, though? Because I, I agree you know exactly what they're going to do, right? They're going to do pretty much the same thing every game with their switching defensively. But unlike the Bucks, the Bucks at least, you know where you can get a shot against them, right? It's going to be an above-the-break three. If you have players who can make that shot either off the dribble or you have a big man, you know you can get a shot. Against Houston, they take stuff like that away. Mike D'Antoni said that one of the things they preach on defense is making their man-to-man defense look like a zone. And so you're not going to just be able to get in the lane and drive and kick necessarily to the guys that you want to. You might be able to kick it to uh, Hamadou Diallo in the corner. He'll yeah, be open for you that's true. if you want. Uh, and you know, really the only lineup that OKC can throw out there where they don't have any non-shooters is that Energizer Bunny unit that had such a great rating with the, the three guards out there, Schroeder, Paul, and Gilgis Alexander together. They still have Steven Adams out there at that point, but he you know can finish around the rim and offensive rebound stuff, and Gal is a good shooter, but they can't play that lineup that often and also they don't really have anyone to guard James Harden in that group and so I'm you know maybe Shea's gonna have to step up and do that a little bit but then of course Houston can in- involve guys in screens they can always just have PJ Tucker if he's guarded by Steven Adams go set a screen for Harden as well and, and create an opening that way or whoever's or whoever Schroeder's guarding I mean I, I know we saw we right. saw some of that in this one too yeah I mean they, they intentionally put Schroeder onto Harden and Harden he's just too strong for yeah. Schroeder he can shoot over him create the space for the step back anytime he wants to or you know if he just gets that first step off his like dribbling between the legs 97 times and then going to his left move you know he can just kind of power through Schroeder um and so I I do think that we've seen a lot of teams struggle against Houston and what I wanted to transition to here and I think this is kind of what you're getting at too is there just isn't enough attention to detail for Houston right because it's it's really the little things 
that are going to help you beat the Houston Rockets on both ends, particularly when you're on offense. But it's, okay, we need to find the right guy to isolate against. Well, they isolated against James Harden basically one time that I counted in the first half. And that one's, at least in the first 18 minutes, when it was 20 and the game was basically done. And they tried to um, post him up like six times. Yeah, which, you know, again, that, that's not going to work, right? And, you know, you need to force Harden to move off the ball, maybe with some, you know, get him onto a shooter. You need to get quick slips, which they did, you know, a few times. That was like the one thing that they had in there. But again, it's not in their DNA. This is a team that likes to dribble the air out of the ball. They don't move it quickly. You know, it's kind of station to station. Chris Paul, get to the mid-range at the elbow. Um, You know, you got to make sure you get your best isolationist, the ball, against their worst isolationist and then you don't have non-shooters who are clogging up the floor that's a little more difficult with their personnel but you know you get or you involve that guy in a screen somehow you make them respect that guy a little bit maybe he's cutting to the basket more but it, it's got to be so many different things that you're trying to number one get those quick slips where you cause miscommunication i didn't count i think I, there was one miscommunication in the competitive portion of the game which i'm concerning basically the first half uh, by the rockets so you, you're not doing enough there um and then on defense not enough attention to detail right it's five on the shot clock you don't force james harden to drive daniel gun are you're just gonna let him get a step back Nerlens noel doesn't close out to jeff green's right hand a couple of times he gets two and once as well as that jeff green's really good tonight by the way he's been really good for the rock also the, got, the sheer yeah. ridiculous number of drives by eric gordon and austin rivers in this game yeah like rivers another one who you really you want to not let him get to his left hand out of a triple threat or, or i'm sorry to his right hand out of a triple threat he did that uh you know, I did think that the Rockets did a good job. Like PJ Tucker, were like, okay, let's make that guy make a play. Um, you know, but they didn't force Robert Covington to make a play. Like PJ Tucker would kind of get the ball, and if he didn't have the shot, he would dribble around, look to hand off to someone. Um, so they really the level of attention to detail necessary to beat the Rockets because they're going to force you to play their game a little bit, and you gotta find those little cracks and widen them and be so locked in on exactly what they're doing to beat them. If you don't have just like the crazy offensive talent and there's a reason that these guys gave the warriors some trouble at, at times granted those with a little bit different a group with chris paul but they even doubled down on that defensive system a little bit more now uh so and they've beaten everybody else seemingly over the last few years except the warriors when they've been good so i'm uh this is a really good team and i really did not like this matchup for okc chris paul didn't score until the second quarter you know he finished up with a respectable stat line but it, you know it, a, a lot of that was just what he did late nothing really too amazing i, I mean okc they also gave up 23 corner three-pointers in this game and they allowed the rockets to shoot almost 80 percent at the rim james harden had a beautiful shot chart with his 37 points they had no answers for him um jeff green had 22 points and was plus 28 but he did a lot of that driving to the basket he hit three of seven from three a lot of those again from the corners pj tucker was three of eight a lot of those again from the corners well and here's here's the, another here's another stat with this yeah. the rockets posted a 127 offensive rating in the half court and i mean they were Oof. and they they don't run a lot and they didn't have to they used though D'Antoni, I was so happy. They ran off of makes a few times, and the OKC just totally yeah. was not prepared for it. Like there was Gordon looked good there. I mean, it, the, that backup unit was fantastic yes. for Houston. Yeah, they were, and it helped by OKC just like not having any idea what was going on in some of those. And like it was uh, Ferguson, I think Diallo got caught on a couple of those, and like yeah, some some of those limited like OKC. It's been true for really honestly the entire Presti era. They've had a lot of these kind of one way players, and those are extremely difficult 
difficult to manage in a playoff series. And they're even harder, I would say they're harder against the Rockets than any other team in the NBA because they're just like, okay, we know we know how to handle this. And Diallo will take some bad shots. He'll do some crazy drives. Terrence Ferguson, you know, he we know kind of what he is at this point. Um, and... It, it's hard because when you have a critical mass of those players on your roster, there's only so far you can go. And then one of the other ones that was crazy in terms of KYP was Robertson came in and Robertson, who has experience, you know, with James Harden over the, over the years, even though first Robertson basically hasn't played in two years. And he first should have gotten called for a foul, gets in Harden's airspace on a three-pointer, and they miss, they straight up miss that call. And then I think it was like the next trip down, he fouls Harden on a three, like totally clearly fouls him on a three. It's just like, how, how are you, how is this still going on? It was, it was, and I mean, with, especially with Harden, those circumstances, and, and I thought that Stan Van Gundy did a great job with the call of this game. Oh yeah. And, um, was talking about how, like, it, 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 he kind of channeled some of the stuff that Hollinger's been talking about too, which is fouling a three, fouling a jump shooter, but specifically a three point jump shooter is the absolute worst thing you can do. And with Harden, especially, you're generally not affecting that shot in the first place with the way where you're usually fouling him and so it just it just compounds the error a couple other small notes uh, on this one james harden is going to be and harden you know he basically stemmed all of the rallies he didn't have like an unbelievable time when they surged out to that 20 point lead you know they did a lot of that with him on the bench but he ended up staving them off only had to play 34 minutes in the end and they are not making him work as far as guarding someone in an isolation they're having him hide of course on terrence ferguson or diallo i mean one of those two guys is going to be on the floor for at least half the game and so harden can just hang out in the lane where he's the most effective he is an effective help defender when he doesn't have to guard anyone he's also just resting every possession on defense they're, if they're killing him when Harden is on the bench, they don't have to bring him back in that quickly. And so if James Harden, if this games in the series do end up being close, he's going to be so fresh by the end. You know, there's a trend where Harden plays really well in game ones of series, and then he'll drop off throughout a series, but he sure as heck isn't tired after this game. Um, so that's one thing. Um, Houston might actually be a better defensive team without Russell Westbrook. I would agree. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're bad. They're going to need him to beat the Lakers. But, uh, you know, I think you can even make an argument that they might be better against this specific team without him because they don't, they're not going to have trouble scoring. It's like they're going to need his transition offense against the Lakers a lot. They're going to need more than just Eric Gordon as a ball handler on the second unit against the Lakers. Um, ben McLemore continues to just shoot the shit out of it. Four out of seven from three plus 27, 14 points. He is shooting it so fast and so quickly. And he and Daniel House... Those guys are kind of underrated shooters. You know, Hollinger and I were talking and he was saying they have these guys in the starting lineup where you're kind of, all right, you know, go far away, it's fine. But when they, House is in the starting lineup now, of course, but when they bring in Macklemore and House is a very reliable open shooter, he's not going to shoot on the move, but Macklemore shooting on the move, just hot potatoing it out of his hands and making them, even in the corners, he's like shooting on the move. Like that's a real uh, fantastic element for them that really helps a lot. Um, Another thing we didn't see at all was was really targeting Robert Covington. He gave up two blow buys in the first quarter and he looked better in the second quarter. He had a couple of stops. The other thing that Oklahoma City really needs to do, they should watch some tape of, although they don't have the guys who are quite this fast, of the way Donovan Mitchell attacked switches by small players yesterday of getting ahead of steam up. And so when the guy tries to switch onto you, you're already going a million miles an hour and he's still stuck and moving towards you and you can blow right by him. That's something that they need to, to get as well. They also struggled with Houston. P.J. Tucker is fantastic at this. Of When they switch off the ball, then getting out of the floor and denying you so you can't really run 
the play that you want to run and kind of you, you sort of give up at that point and there's no way to get the guy open because if you screen they'll just switch it again so one thing they might consider is when houston is trying to deny guys that's when you blow by your man particularly if pj tucker is all the way out on the floor again like i mean these are very small details danny right and i've just probably listed 15 things that you have to do i'm getting back in that mode like i was in 2018 muscle memory uh, talking about the like little things that you need to do but you mentioned muscle memory right like the warriors one of the greatest offensive teams of all time struggled to deal with this and the, you know i'm not saying that a team with that with better isolation players would have this many struggles with houston but if you don't have that you need a way to get some easier points and attack in just these subtle ways which are going to give you a that little bit of an advantage on every possession on the other end we saw again this tactic that houston has that works so well against the bucks of putting pj tucker when he's guarded by a center in the strong side corner and then having usually harden attack baseline they'll put tucker in like the left corner have harden attack hard to his left hand there was one play where you go because usually you don't help off the strong side corner but that's the center right so Mescala is the center he doesn't leave the strong side corner that's the general rule but then there's nobody to help on Harden's drive he just went right in for a layup so they're gonna and that's part of how they got all these corner threes they're gonna need a new plan there I would suggest actually trying to force Harden middle when they go to that and particularly middle to his right hand if he's on the left side of the floor you usually don't force guys middle but particularly if it's in an ISO they might have to go at that but maybe it's time to go with the crazy force Harden to drive thing but if you do that then Steven Adams helps he throws it to the corner for a three and it's Tucker so you know that only that worked much better when they had Capella the Bucks didn't go to that strategy against them this year in part because they're able to spread the floor now so it's looking really really good uh for Houston uh, any other thoughts uh, or adjustments for the the Rockets or, or Thunder in this game not particularly um I think I'm ready to move um, on all right, I've got one more. Okay. You're not stopping Harden anyway. Terrence Ferguson, have a seat on the bench. Hamadou Diallo, 15 minutes. You're not playing anymore. Andre Robertson played three minutes. They tried him on Harden. He, he committed that one foul. He was out of the game, missed the three-pointer. Give me some Abdel Nader, baby. He will make those corner threes. He is a good shooter right now. And yes, I know he's not the defender that some of these other guys are. And he'll probably get cooked by Harden. It's going to happen. But that you put him out there, I might even consider starting Abdel Nader just because, again, Houston not guarding Ferguson, not guarding Hamadou Diallo. It's just killing their offense. They yeah. can't do anything. I, I, so, I fully support it. Yeah. Uh, and just see how that looks because they, I mean, maybe, you know, in the second half, you know, you think maybe they found something like, yeah, okay. I mean, it was a blowout. Like, I can't take that much from that second half. So let's jump to Miami, Indiana. And you, you in the lead to OKC Houston, you brought up, you know, that a lot of series haven't gone to form, even if the, even if in some where the outcome was what we expected. I would include Miami, Indiana and the ones that did. Yes, it was true that the game changed a little bit with changed modestly with Victor Oladipo getting poked in the eye and missing the rest of the game and his vision was blurry went to the hospital we don't have a a full understanding of where that's going from here yeah remind me though I did want to talk about how he played it in that first eight minutes before he he had that issue at some point but that's obviously not the lead sure but if we're looking especially at the minutes when Bam Adebayo was on the floor Miami stifled stifled Indiana and I, I thought that I thought that that was largely the case, and and it's not like the Miami offense was great. I mean, especially when Jimmy Butler hit his first two threes of like the millennium in this game. But I I thought that it did largely go kind of like why I thought Miami had some real structural advantages in the series. I largely agree with you. I largely thought that Miami had the better of the run of play. If you're 
an Indiana fan, what you'd say is, hey, we were right there. And then Jimmy Butler hit two ridiculous threes with four minutes left in the game. And that's what pushed Miami out to their final league. Like we came back. Miami shot it extremely well for, from mid-range, although not in a lot of attempts. And, you know, some guys hit threes that we aren't necessarily going to expect to hit threes again, particularly Jimmy Butler. My response would be, though, that, again, the, the Pacers offense just wasn't close to getting the type of shots that they're going to need to. I, I'm not saying that they aren't going to win games in this series or a game. I guess I picked it in five, and I th- this game probably reinforces that. I'd stick with that pick after this one. Uh, but And that they're not going to be competitive in games in this series. But they just were not getting the type of shots that you're going to need to get against this Miami defense to really threaten to win the series. Right, and especially because... Indiana made so much of their hay in the 13 minutes that Bam didn't play. And that ratio is going to be about the same. Do you know, I, I looked it up, what, what Indiana's offensive rating was when Bam was on the floor? Regale me with the answer. 94.1. Yeah. And I mean, they, they weren't getting much. At, at a certain point, I was going completely crazy when Nate McMillan thought that ISOing against Bam, like if it was especially if it was a perimeter player, that that was like a matchup worth attacking. It's like, no, Bam is quite good at that. Like he's, I, I actually like him better as a kind of as a switch defender than rim protector and something we've talked about before. And that isn't to say it was it's all bad for the Pacers or anything like that. I mean, I thought that um, Justin Holiday in particular, like he when he was hitting shots that I thought looked good. TJ Warren looked a lot better in this one than when Miami just shit canned them about a week ago. Um, but the, I mean, especially like this is just a short thing. Indiana shot 42% from three in this game, but they only attempted 24. And it's really hard to get the math to work, right? Especially they're not always going to lose the possession game, which they did here. They only out-rebounded the heat by one and they turned it over four extra times. But it just gets so hard when you have all of these things working together. It's going to be hard to get good shots. You're not getting the threes. They have, I mean, I, they have some capable three-point shooters to be sure, but they it's just not the way their offense is structured. Yeah, and they were six out of 19 from mid-range. That was was definitely a struggle for them. I thought that really the, you know, TJ Warren can kind of get things going. He had 22 points, nine of 18, but he doesn't ever get to the foul line. He's also four or five from three. You know, I, I would try to get even more three-pointers if I can for him because, you know, I think he can beat some switches, particularly moving quickly. He's also a good cutter maybe immediately off those switches. Again, though, we talked about it in the preview that this Pacers team doesn't have the DNA against the switching team. I did think that the one place they might want to try and go is pick and rolls involving Dragos because it did look like the one thing that the Heat weren't switching was anything involving Dragic. Yeah. And so maybe you can either try to get Dragon switched onto Malcolm Brogdon, who also was actually being guarded by Duncan Robinson, which was interesting. We'll talk about that. Um, or you could just, that's how you can get your two on the ball and pick and roll. There was a couple of miscommunications early between Dragic and Adebayo that got turned or a dunk one time. So that might be a place where you can go more, particularly early in the offense, to just try to get things started before you you get into your inevitable isolation brogdon did struggle to shoot it from the outside but he went to the straight line drives nicely against duncan robinson they were switching involving robinson but that was actually the base matchup and so brogdon took advantage of that particularly early he had 22 points and 10 assists even though he was 6 to 18 from the field he also got to the foul line for 10 attempts 
only one other pacer had more than two attempts that was Oladipo who uh we'll talk about it. it was a little bit of a struggle for him in those eight minutes or so that he played but you brought you brought any other kind of like big themes you wanted well, to get on you here? brought up Dragic and the potential limitations defensively I thought he looked comfortable again offensively I thought that things things flowed better when he flowed well when he was on the floor and when you consider that Miami isn't oh and especially in a lot of the Dragic minutes they're not playing like a ton of really good offensive players I thought that they they you know they're with Butler has his you know strengths and weaknesses player Bam does too but like I, I I've been impressed with how Dragic has looked so far oh I totally agree he looks awesome to me even with that knee brace on but He's able to get to the rim more. He was 9 of 19, 4 of 9 from 3, 24 points, 5 assists, plus 20. We talked about how his matchup against Aaron Holiday was one that we he could win. He did get Holiday in the air once in the lane for a bad foul. He was just able to snake in when he needed to. There are times that Holiday helped. Dragic has a size advantage over him. He, he was able to get open for a three off a screen as well. So yeah, he definitely looks good. And another one of these veterans who I think really helped by just not having to go through an entire season before the playoffs begin and he's starting he played 34 minutes i mean there's a thought when this season started he's gonna to have to come off the bench they're gonna take it easy with them was he even gonna be in their closing lineup and you know, is he gonna be go somewhere else in free agency and be a backup point guard and no he actually looks fantastic he looks like he actually is like a you know top 20 quality point guard a guy you can really operate again well, in pick and, and also kendrick nunn dnp cd yeah we predicted it uh that that would be the case uh, about a week ago with some of the travails uh, that he has had uh so, something rightfully so hero has been good Dragic has been good they don't need him something else i wanted to mention that i think should be concerning for the pacers is they did get some i would call them surprisingly good contributions from some of their bench players jakar sampson hitting a couple of jump shots he was 10 of 10 points five of six from the field and oh baby uh bob fitzgerald was uh, about to jump out of his chair when some of those uh pacers role players including uh one in particular uh really really got going there uh in, in uh at the end of the third as they had a 9-1 run to kind of get back into it as it looked after it looked like Miami had taken control in the third no comment <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so McConnell, McConnell hit like a couple of tough jumpers. You know, I still maintain my concerns about him. Um, but let's get to Oladipo. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. And I got, had a, a few of the smaller notes as well. They run the first play for him. Jay Crowder, who looks better. He looks quicker, fine after that uh, bang knee that he had in the OKC game. Uh, but... Victor Oladipo should be able to blow by Jay Crowder in isolation. Jay Crowder is a power forward, and Victor Oladipo used to be one of the fastest guys in the league. And first play of the game, they run it for him. He's got the open side being forced baseline, and Jay Crowder just cuts him off. And he tries again, and then he can't finish the throw, and Jimmy Butler comes over and, and forces a miss. He airballs a wide open corner three. Uh, then he had another play where he tried to go for a spin move in the lane. He got, got it stolen. He got beaten uh, on a back door by Crowder very easily on an ATO, which uh, they set up to take advantage of him being a little bit aggressive, trying to jump the passing lanes. And then, uh, unfortunately, he got poked in the eye going for a rebound late first, but didn't really look any better to me. Didn't look like he can be a second score. Didn't look like he's someone who's going to be a, a isolation option for uh, the Pacers. So that was a, a bit of a problem, and hopefully he's able to return in the next game. I mean, not great that 
that he wasn't able to this time but uh, they started Ebden Summer for him in the second half to kind of run after Duncan Robinson the, a key play in the third was a, a four-point play that Robinson got at Sumner's expense by the way Robinson he's not quite like J.J. Redick but he definitely is still better going to his right than going to his left when he's coming off the screen so that, that's something to keep if you're watching one of these games keep in mind that he's he shoots a much better percent I don't have stats on this but just my observation particularly in the bubble is that he's more comfortable going to his right um anything else on this one I got like a couple other like pretty small notes here. um I was I was interested in um the the idea that both teams like when they when they pulled their centers they they went both teams went really small it was Derek Jones on on Jakar Sampson in a lot of those minutes and Miami I think part of it was to maintain system continuity but with India yeah, with, with the switching yeah with yeah. switching and with Indy I was kind of like I was just kind of trying to figure out where like what the theory of that was even though at times it actually kind of worked out um yeah i mean that was rough when it was out of bio going against samson he had one ridiculous that finish oh man yeah that that was sick but i think you know like we saw in that game against the celtics out of bio can really just kind of work in a position use his size against someone like samson you know they might have to double team in those situations which you know miami always has enough shooting on the floor so that's kind of difficult uh Sumner is really a zero offensively other than just getting out for some fast break layups. Uh, Another thing to watch, we talked about this in the Lakers situation, if Bam defends out of the perimeter, he's going to run the floor. He did that and just posted up uh, Brogdon for a dunk after Brogdon missed it, an isolation jumper on him. The Pacers overall, just not enough alacrity, not enough passing. We talked about that. There was one typical play in the third quarter where TJ Warren flashes right to the charge over he's wide open brogdon's just dribbling the air out of the ball up top totally misses him and then immediately throws it away in the passing lane for a butler dunk so that was you know brogdon he's had a lot of assists this year but i still don't think that he's really like a great passer that much of a natural point guard and Miami uh, oh, oh yeah and, and then the Pacers also like I think in the entire second half they maybe had one play where they like forced a miscommunication or or got a nice cut like there's Turner who cut off of a Brogdon drive for a dunk at, at one point behind Adebayo and other than that they just were not getting any kind of system buckets any kind of separation whatsoever and then finally watch in the future games here this Miami set where either Hero or Dragic is handling the ball they have Jimmy Butler set a first screen and then he'll pop out and then Adebayo will roll after that to the rim either Adebayo or Jones and that was very difficult to defend Dragic got a layup on that Jones got a nice dunk on that same play as well and so they're just and then they have two shooters on the backside usually it's Duncan Robinson in the weak side corner on that play and so that's very difficult to defend where that's something that we're just seeing a lot more generally is if you get two guys out on the floor setting screens then you know someone has to their men have to be out on the floor as well and then they're just that leaves one fewer guy to help but once you get into your actual pick and roll i'm done do you have anything else uh we gotta get to news oh i meant in terms of this game yeah, yeah. Un- unfortunately, the place that I think we start with news is with the Boston Celtics and Gordon Hayward. It is a grade three right ankle sprain that is that is as severe as it gets. I mean, we've seen a couple of these around the league in the last little while, and the current word from the Celtics is that he's expected to miss four weeks. These can run longer than that. I, I believe I saw Jeff Stotts. I think it was like it, it can often be much longer than that. It just kind of depends on some of the specifics with with what happened, and that means 
practically he's out for this series and the next one, assuming they make it through. And that makes the Toronto totally changes the tenor of the Toronto series. And with the birth of his child and, you know, depending on where everything goes, like we don't even know what we would see from Hayward, even if he's available, let's say for the conference finals, should Boston get there? Yeah, I mean, and that's at least four weeks when we've seen grade three ankle sprains. It'd be even longer than that. I, I don't think that I'm not going to say that they're sunk against Toronto. We'll see how the rest of these series play out, but that might be enough for me to pick Toronto. I think I can't remember whether I had Celtics and six or Celtics and seven. I think it was Celtics and six, but that particularly depending on how it looks. I mean, Toronto, it's going to be tough to judge them against this Nets team as they blew them out yesterday. But it's uh, that series, if anything, got closer than it already was, which looked like it was going to be pretty close. Um, other than that, we can talk at the NBA level. Number one, uh, Scott Agnes out of, of Indianapolis reporting in his newsletter that NBA All-Star Weekend 2021 is unlike likely to go on as scheduled per an NBA spokesperson that's not a surprise considering that that reporting from Henry Abbott that we talked about earlier that Michelle Roberts kind of expects we're going to see a between January and even March start to next season as they try to hope that the health situation allows fans to, to be in the stands but then we're also going to see Danny the belly aching from the delete eight come to an end they're actually going to get a chance to do some voluntary workout yeah so what it looks like it's going to be is a program from September 14th to October October 6th and the first phase will be voluntary individual workouts at team facilities so this is in market it's not in the bubble in Orlando or anything like that so the first part will be individual while kind of everything's going on with testing and then the second phase will be uh, group training activities which can include practices skill or position and remember I this is voluntary so I think you could see teams like the Golden State Warriors where they're not getting as much utility out of it because they have a lot of players that don't necessarily need this but you could see like for example the Atlanta Hawks like that's something that they could really benefit from especially if some of their players are are healthy enough to participate i would suspect actually that we're gonna see pretty universal adoption unless there are like real reasons not to do this from a health standpoint i mean yeah it's definitely gonna suck to have to go into a bubble maybe there'll be some sort of a family consideration um, but yeah, six days should be enough at the beginning of the bubble where if they're just doing socially distanced one-on-one workouts the way that they have been at facilities, but you're testing everyone every day and you know that they're not going anywhere, then that's a- enough time for any potential positives to come up and then you can feel comfortable having close contact going five-on-five. Five. And there is going to be a one-hour limit per day for five-on-five five scrimmaging. And they mentioned that they're going to be able to bring up to five G League affiliate players into the program. That's to obviously facilitate that particularly if you have a team like the Knicks now when you have pending free agents those guys probably for a team like the Knicks are not going to go that's a great point if I if I am I would be very interested if I were say a player like Bobby Portis or Wayne Ellington on a team option or a non-guarantee that am I expected to show up because these workouts are before the offseason actually starts and I could technically be under contract or the, our team's going to have to actually like tell these players that they're going to be guaranteed. I mean, I think in the team option case, maybe not, but I mean, I guess it's all voluntary anyway, right? So it, it's not going to matter. But I mean, you, you might even see players just want to get out there and be in this, right? It's been so long since just to stay sharp and, and play. They, I'm sure they just miss playing against like NBA competition at this point, you know? So um, here's another thing that Casey Johnson pointed this out. 
what's how's this going to affect coaching searches because this we're still going to have the conference finals and the finals going on during this period ideally if you're hiring a new coach you would want to have this guy in place so he can start installing his system with these guys but let's say you know you're a, a, a darvin ham on the bucks and the bucks expect to make it to the finals you might be able to interview him but he's not going to be able to leave the team you would think maybe the bucks would let him do that just because it's such crazy circumstance but i don't think that they well would. and then the challenge of having him try to return to the bubble you know like all that like if, if the bucks are let's say still going sure yeah that's a that's another one here this one must warm your pick protection heart that philly gets this pick from okc and it's the highest possible pick that it could have been and still go yeah they could send a, a nice little piece of fan mail to mike Mescala for 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 that yeah they ended up with the the 21st pick um they won that won that tiebreaker was actually a i believe was a three-way tiebreaker that they won and then sacramento won i believe they won their tiebreaker against the the pels as well yeah the king's twitter account hilariously tweeting out that they were now 3-0 and against New Orleans in the bubble, including the tie break. Uh, the Kings Twitter account will not be tweeting out that the Kings are expected to retain Mike Forty, famously of that Washington Wizards GM search that led to them taking an, their incredibly sweet time, not getting Tim Conley or Masai Ujiri, and then eventually hiring the guy who was in-house and was running things the whole time. Uh, Hollinger tweeted out that like, yeah, me, me and him and... and Zach Lowe would be happy to do it within one hour and for half the price <laughs> for uh, of I mean they, they paid like fucking six figures to these guys it's unbelievable um but I, I promise you will not have to pay six figures for the new dunked on prime service dunked on dot supporting fm please click on the link either the both to check out the pricing we're offering this amazing deal now the founding members deal where you're going to be grandfathered in at this one-time only price forever that's going to be a limited number of memberships that we're not going to offer once uh it actually goes live on september 8th but you will get some stuff in the meantime with that a bunch of written content you'll get our salary sheets which are upgraded from what you're getting at patreon you can really now click through to all the teams see all of our projections years out you're going to get our daily dunks which is links to the best content written podcast or video around the web every day but i just say web i'm really showing my age there and a lot more stuff too we're going to start doing a experiment with at least we'll see how it goes here danny but you you and i are on board with at least trying this a zoom video happy hour so we can get to know a few of our our listeners a a little bit more and just kind of shoot the shit with maybe a a beverage or two we're going to do some written q a's there's already a mailbag podcast in there waiting for you if you sign up that we just did with some awesome questions uh, from our patreon listeners about whether there should be a playing game and how refereeing should change and this is a fun one of if you took the best player off every team in the league who would win the championship there's a, a lot of cool stuff like that some stuff about how we do the nba cast and how that evolved it so that, that was a lot of fun to do this morning so please check that out and we're going to be able to give you a lot of content in the beta mode even before september 8th and then you'll get dunked on five days a week ad free so once again, that link is dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. It's in the show notes, as is a much longer written explainer about why we decided to go this route and what the economics of it are. And moreover, too, the one thing I'll add is we're not offering it right away, but if you are in a situation where economically you're not in a position to pay for it, we are going to offer a special discount for people who are in that circumstance. There's more information about that in the blog post or in the other 
other podcast that, that I posted where I talk about this whole service for like 15 minutes that actually should be up right now so hope this uh hour and 20 minutes or so was to your liking and we look forward to giving you some more content we'll be back talking about at least three games tomorrow night till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply